Okay, we're going to go over top five mistakes to avoid. Um, we've found in, in each of our workshops, one of the fastest ways to give you a lot of value is to tell you exactly what not to do with great certainty. And then that way there's no confusion, there's great clarity over making sure you never do these things um, because a lot of these become obvious over time, but they happen a lot in our industry. The first is, I know some of you, probably 30% of you, maybe a little bit more, do not have a website, either because um, you're getting started or because of regulatory concerns or um, your attorney says it's best just not to have one so you don't get in trouble in some way for publicly marketing if you're not allowed to. But I have seen many times those who have a website, you know, when we ask for materials or to learn more or to see their track record, they just say, see our website. And a investor who looks at a lot of deals might look at deals in different ways. They might review teasers before wanting to look at a pitch deck. They might print out things and then review that while traveling. Uh, people are starting to travel a lot right now compared to last quarter, for example. Um, and they might ask their analysts to review things and they might be, just be used to getting a pitch deck or a teaser and putting that in Dropbox or putting that in a review file. And if you just say, yeah, look at our website and then you can see what we do, it might not really fit the cue of how they operate or how they look. And it also says a lot more about this either being your first rodeo or this being something that is relatively new. Because if you're asking somebody to invest anything more than $200,000 in your company or a real estate deal or investment firm, and you're saying, please, you know, hand over $200,000 and in return you get X. And they, they think to themselves, should I invest $200,000 but you haven't invested, you know, X thousand dollars, it might be $7,000 to develop a pitch deck or a teaser. You haven't put, even if it's not nice looking, you don't even have an ugly one to show them. It just shows you haven't invested your own time or money, but you're asking them to invest their time and their money. And that creates misalignment. And they just say, well, you know, they don't have any materials. You know, is this really good use of our time? Investors are constantly trying to prune and focus on things that hit their strike zone, are credible, are aligned counterparties, things they can trust, things they could get high conviction on. And it is a warning sign from the very beginning if someone has no materials to show at all. So that's why this is a expensive mistake to avoid. And you could call these $100,000 mistakes because just doing any one of these mistakes could easily lose you a $100,000 investor who may grow to putting half a million to work with you over time. Uh, or it may lead to just literally not raising any capital at all for a project. The second one here is no anticipatory moves. Um, what this is basically pointing out is that you have to predict what investors may be concerned about, how they compare you to competitors, what the elephant in the room is with COVID, if you have a retail real estate or a retail consumer facing business. Um, you have to think what is coming up uh, such as tax changes, regulatory changes, et cetera, and address things that you know will be top of mind on the investor's mind because investors are afraid of the reputation of film funding or they're afraid of the reputation of a startup tech company or a startup social media website that's trying to raise capital or a dental clinic chain, whatever it may be. And so one of my mentors early on um, who is a CEO trainer, his name is Evan Pagan, and he really helped us 
scale our business to seven figures um, quickly is he said that when you give a presentation or you talk to somebody or you put an offering in front of someone, you wanna think about it as entering them into your house and having them walk down a hallway and designing that experience. And you, know, you don't want it to be easy for them to open a door and just leave your house. Um, you wanna have them to walk down the hallway, notice the picture, notice a table, architect the experience so that you know, the windows are closed if you don't want them to jump out the window to leave fast, et cetera. And you have to predict what's gonna happen next in the conversation and where you want to take them. And so thinking ahead is important. And for those of you that have seen the um, TV series, a fictional series called Suits, you know, the lawyers are very good at thinking three steps ahead of the other attorneys or the business owners. And that's, that's essentially what can be highly valued here when it comes to due diligence or working with investors. Um, so it's a big mistake not to be thinking ahead on those things. The other mistake is to, if you're not prepared for a half turn above the sophistication level you're used to raising capital at, then it's going to be hard to upgrade over time and you might get lucky and then you can't monetize that good luck. You, even if you recognize you've gotten lucky. So you may have been raising capital 25,000 to $75,000 at a time maybe a couple of your larger investors are and you're trying to raise over time, you know, half a million, 400,000 at a time or a million dollars at a time. Well, wherever you're at, you should have your due diligence processes and your materials ready for a half turn above where you are. So be ready for the sophistication level of a $20 million, $30 million net worth client wanting to put half a million dollars to work with you and have that level of due diligence, sophistication and professionalism and institutionalization in your materials. That's what we're gonna help you with today. You're gonna to go home with a worksheet that basically has a, um, some homework assignments for you. That's not gonna be 400 things you need to do. We're gonna narrow it down to just three things you need to do right away and give you a checklist of things to look for. But throughout the day, I hope that you write down a few notes and action items and takeaways. So. Just making sure as we go through the content today to think about who have you been raising capital for, where would you like to be in a year and a half to three years, and doing more than what others have done. Uh, sometimes people come to us and come to our investor club and they say, oh, well, what is the fee that, that everyone's charging or what is the standard? And then they make a decision based on what everyone else is doing, but you want to be more aligned than everyone else. You want to be stronger than everyone else because if you don't win, and you get fourth place, you're going to get zero capital from that investor. You need to get first or second place, or it doesn't even matter that you're in, in the race. So um, making sure that you've gone above and beyond to build trust and conviction uh, is really critical. And for some reason, that is often missed. People just want to do whatever the status quo is. And I think that that is the bar to aim for. And I for sure think it's not. Slow response times. This is a really common Thing. So it could be that you are raising capital, but you are also structuring and negotiating your private equity deals yourself. And you're the negotiator, you're working with the attorneys, you're trying to source the deal, you're negotiating the valuation. Um, you might be um, a tech background, you might be dealing with tech issues and your software programmers all day. So the capital raising process might be something you only spend five hours a week on or 10 hours a week on and things can come up which are mission critical and then investor questions that take thoughtful responses can take a long time to get a response back to people on. And what investors see is that again, 
Maybe you don't have the staff to handle your business if you can't answer a simple question. Maybe this is the first time you've ever raised capital, uh, which may not be a horrible thing. They might like that so that there's not 50 investors on your cap table, but they're going to use that as leveraged against you subconsciously or consciously and ask for a lower valuation or ask for better terms or you know, push back and ask for more of a personal guarantee, et cetera, if they feel that this is the first time you're raising capital or it's not really a process that's re really well refined. So I would encourage you to um, use text messages you know, when you have permission or when appropriate, use WhatsApp, use phone calls. This morning, I got an announcement from Slack um, and I shared it with my team and we've been discussing it already that now you can direct message people on Slack. And if you're dealing with types of clients and business owners that use Slack, then you might be able to message them directly without them being on like your team on Slack. And then you can be interfacing with that investor in real time and not be crowded out among 400 other emails they have in their inbox. Um, so just making sure that you can get back to people quickly. If you do not have the answer at the tip of your fingers, then say, well, I believe the answer is X, Y, Z. I'm going to need to check with my counsel. I need to check with my partner um, and he's traveling. I'll check with him next Wednesday and I'll get back to you by Thursday. So at least you respond and then give somebody a relatively you know, meaningful response, which is the next mistake here. Even if you respond quickly, responding with a non-answer or a weak, thin answer that hasn't been thought through is almost as bad as not responding at all. And with all of these mistakes we've mentioned here, many times the response can just be them moving on and just kind of going dark on you. You know, everyone's had an investor that they thought was going to close or started out strong, and then they just kind of drop off because they're busy with other people who are more aligned with who they are. Maybe their deal fits the strike zone or their company fits what they want to invest in that much better. Um, or, you know, something tipped them off that this isn't really something that's worth their time pursuing. And some investors are very polite about it. And they say, oh, at this time, I just don't see this as a fit. Uh, others will wait months before telling you that and others will not say anything and you won't know why they went quiet. And so part of today is pointing out many different reasons why an investor might say no or go dark on you because they might be too polite to give you the real answer or they might be polite enough to give you a no, um, but not really make it granular on why they're moving away from working with you. So that's the point here.